that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? You know, if you are a parent or if you have grandchildren, you are deeply concerned. You're concerned about an issue of what is called the degeneration of character. You look at your society, you look at the world around you, and you realize things are not getting better. And sometimes you think, what's it going to be like for my grandchildren? What's it going to be like for my children? Because you realize that Human nature is not to, it seems that there, there is a degeneration with human nature, that things do not get better, they only seem to get worse as far as character is concerned. In other words, if you could go back in the 50s, there was a time when, I think it's 50s or before that, but when if a couple went to rent a motel room, you had to show, a man and a woman, you had to show proof that you were married. You had to show a marriage license to do that. So... We see today where anything goes and just uh, we can't even identify what bathroom to go in and things like that, uh, gender identity. So, so you look at your society and sometimes you live in fear when you think about your children, your grandchildren, what kind of a world will they grow up in? And it gets scary, it really does. But there's another degeneration that I want to talk about today, and it is what I call the degeneration of theology. And the way that occurs is you come to a point, as a religious person, you come to a point where you say or believe nothing is holy. Nothing is holy. Now, you can be religious. You can go to church six days a week, twice on Sunday. You can speak. You can, you can preach. You can sing in the choir. You can go through all kinds of religious activity. But in your heart and heart of hearts, in your mind, nothing is holy. Nothing is holy. For example, you know, the Sabbath is a holy day. It's referred to as the fourth commandment, but it's, it's, it's a holy time, a holy day. And somewhere along the way, people came along and said, that's not important. The Sabbath is not important. And religious people said, yeah, I guess it's not. I guess it's not important. It's not holy. The holy days, these are the feast of Jehovah, which are really appointments with God, holy time. But somewhere along the way, people said, ah, holy days, that's, that's Jewish or someone else, you know, not for us. And yet the holy days are in the New Testament. Jesus, the holy days are all about Jesus Christ. They point to his ministry and the work of his ministry. And yet somewhere, people came along and said, they're not important. They're not really holy days. And religious people said, yeah, I guess they're not. I guess they're just not important. Marriage, someone, somehow, somewhere, people came along and said, well, marriage is not holy. You know, and so you have homosexual priests being ordained today. Men with men, women with women. And so, and I guess religious people said, yeah, I guess that's okay too. I guess marriage is not really holy. And then somewhere, someone come along and said, the law of God is not holy. 
And religious people said, yeah, I guess it's not. It's been done away. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been fulfilled. And somewhere along the way, people have said, well, children are not really holy. And so you have 50 million abortions in America. And, and I guess religious people said, well, yeah, I guess it's just not that important. I guess our children are not that holy. And the way you have the degeneration of character is nothing is holy. Absolutely nothing is holy. Now, I didn't say, again, you can be deeply religious, but in your heart, in your mindset, your relationship with God, nothing, nothing, listen, nothing is holy. Nothing is holy. Now, I want to look at one area today of the degeneration of theology and it is the subject of the state of the dead, where we have said this also, the resurrection from the dead, is not a holy thing. You know, if you visit an old cemetery, and you, now you've got to go back two or three hundred years ago, uh, but if you visit an old cemetery, often you will see statements on the tombstone, in hope of the resurrection. You know, the concept back then of immediately flitting off to heaven it just didn't exist back then. I've written down some statements from old cemeteries I've visited, and this one's dated 1799. Okay, it says, God the Redeemer lives, and often from the skies looks down and watches all the dust till he bid it rise. Man, what a powerful statement. He looks down at all the dust till he bid it rise up. What a powerful concept. And you go back to Genesis 3 and verse 19. It says, In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of, you, out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. That's such a simplistic concept. You are going to return to the dust of the earth. And this tombstone said, God watches all the dust till he bid it rise. Here's another tombstone dated back in 1846. Said, uh, said, the flesh shall slumber in the ground till the last trumpet solemn sound. And man, you, you talk about a biblical concept. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. You know, that is what I call sound pure theology. It is truth, and it is a holy concept. No illusions about disembodied souls hovering over the grave. No illusions about circling the throne room of God, disembodied souls. No illusions about disembodied souls burning in hell. Just sound theology. The way you have the degeneration of theology is you come to a point as a religious person that nothing is holy. Nothing is holy. Revelation 20 and verse 6, let's take a look at this, tells us about the resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. The second death has no authority over these, but they will be priests of God in Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. The resurrection, listen to me, the resurrection is holy, and it's for holy people. And again, somewhere along the way, relig religious people have said, well, nothing is holy. The Sabbath, it's not holy. 
The holy days, they're not holy. We've got our own holidays. Christmas, Easter, Halloween, April Fool's Day. Children are not holy. We abort 3,000 a day in America. The law of God is not holy. It's been abolished, nailed to the cross, done away with. Marriage is not holy. We've got homosexual, you know, ordaining homosexual priests and marrying homosexuals. Nothing is holy. Not even the resurrection. It's not holy. Do you realize the false teaching of going immediately to heaven upon death makes the resurrection of the dead totally unnecessary? And again, I'm talking about the way you have the degeneration of theology is nothing is holy. Nothing. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. It says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now think about this. You know, this was 2,000 years ago. These words were written. And there is nothing new under the sun. And here was a, a naughty problem that Paul had where people were running around saying, there is no resurrection of the dead. Or maybe it's not important. It's just not important. We have a different theology today. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also is vain. L listen closely. When nothing is holy, your religion is vain. You can go through the motion. And this is what we have come to as a society, as a people. We look at the Bible, we look at the Word of God, and nothing is holy. God's Sabbath is not holy. His holy days are not holy. Marriage is not holy. Our children are not holy. The law is not holy, not even the resurrection of the dead. It's, it's nothing holy anymore. Now, I want to look at what the state of the dead, what your Bible says about the state of the dead. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5 says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. You know, there's only one way you can misunderstand this verse. And that is, go to church, get some religion, and ask your preacher about the state of the dead. And he'll tell you something totally different. But this verse says, the dead don't know anything. And the reason for that is that they're in the grave, asleep, oblivious to the passage of time. They're dead, and they're waiting for the resurrection of the dead. Now, let's consider this. The state, it is critical for you to understand the state of the dead. What does your Bible say? Now, at this point, it's important to understand that man does not have an immortal soul. But he does have something called the spirit in man. Now, what is the difference between the familiar teaching in Christianity, the immortality of the soul, which a lot of non-religious people believe in, a lot of you Hollywood stars believe there's something immortal about them, you know, but, okay, what's the, the difference between the teaching of the immortality of the soul and the spirit in man? Well, I'm going to explain it because there is one is biblical, one is not. That's the, that's the main difference. That's the main difference. Now, the teaching of the immortality of the soul basically says there's something about you that lives on in consciousness when you die. There's something immortal about you. Now, that's one theory, the immortality of the soul. Now, the spirit in man, though, 
is something a little bit different. It's what makes each of us unique and different. But the spirit in man is not conscious at death. At death, the spirit in man returns to God who gave it. Let's notice some scripture here. Job 32 and verse 8. He says this, But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. So here we acknowledge the absolute fact that your Bible says there is a spirit in man. (laughs) It doesn't say you have an immortal soul, though. Big difference between the two. But it does acknowledge the fact that there is a spirit in man that makes you unique, different than anybody else. You know, it's your own personal, like, DNA, your spiritual DNA that makes you, you. All right, Genesis 2 and verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Notice it doesn't say man became an immortal soul. It just says man became a living soul. And the word breath there is, again, a reference to this spirit in man that God has given mankind. All right, let's continue on. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 tells us what happens at death. Then shall the dust return to the earth, we read that earlier, as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. So that spirit that returns to God who gave it, it's critical to understand that it's not a conscious spirit. It is a recording of you that goes back to God. Sort of like a, you know, I could use the analogy of like a mainframe computer. That spirit that makes you, you, it goes back to God, but there is, it has no consciousness. It's not interacting with others. It's not looking down, rolling around heaven all day and interacting with other saints or nothing like that. No. It's just a a spiritual recording of you that will be given back to you at the resurrection. Now, how do we know that the spirit that returns back to God who gave it upon death is not conscious of anything? Well, we can understand that by a scripture in James 2 and verse 26 that tells us, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, When you have a separation between body and spirit, it results in a condition called death. The body goes back to the ground, dust you are, dust you shall return. The spirit goes back to God who gave it. But when you disconnect the two, it's a condition called death, oblivious to the passage of of time. Now, you see, the problem with believing that the state of the dead involves consciousness, that you're aware of everything, there's a lot of problems with that. I told a story before about the woman who married a, uh, was married to a minister and he passed away at an early age. She got remarried, which is perfectly okay once your husband, your former husband has passed away. But she had a problem, you know, she believed that her, her, her former husband, the minister, was up in heaven watching the marriage bed. And so it created all kinds of dysfunctions in her life because of a teaching, because she was believing a lie. Had she known the truth, you know, listen, when you believe a lie, it hurts. And we don't realize the mental anguish and frustration that comes about because we're believing a lie. No, 
The dead don't know anything. And this would have been comforting for her to understand. Listen, the dead don't understand. The dead don't know anything. They're dead. They're not watching. They're not observing. They're not looking down from heaven watching everything that you do. Because the dead don't know anything. Because they're dead. So we find with the resurrection is that we are, what we find is that when that resurrection takes place, that spirit is given a new body. All right, let's take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 44. It says, it is sown a natural body. That's what we have right now. The natural body that is wearing out, that is getting old, that is getting ugly. You can't do the things you used to do. The natural body is what goes into that grave. It is raised a spiritual body. In other words, once your spirit is given back to you, you know, the spirit of man that returns back to God who gave it, at the resurrection, that spirit is given back to you, and you're given a new body with this spirit, and you're given a spiritual body. Okay? There is a natural body, the one that goes into the grave. There is a spiritual body, the one that's going to be resurrected. Now, what comes first is, is the natural body. Okay. Much as we hate to admit that, that's what has to come first is the natural physical body. But the second body, the body that will be given at the resurrection, is a spiritual body. It is like God. God is a spirit, and we're going to be given a body like his. When we shall see him, we shall see him as he is when we meet Christ because we're going to have the same kind of body, a spiritual body. There's no way you could see God in the flesh, by the way. That would destroy you because it's all powerful. God is all powerful. But we're going to be given a body like his. Now, <clears throat> the concept of immediately going to heaven when you die makes the resurrection unnecessary. You know, the only hope Jesus ever gave of living again was by a resurrection from the dead. Jesus did not preach people go to heaven when they die. In fact, John 3 and verse 13 says, no, Jesus said, no man has ascended to heaven. Let's take a look at some verses that people love to use to say, to, to teach this concept of immediately going to heaven. There's only a few, by the way, scriptures that people take out of context to, to even prove this, this belief system. In John 14 and verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the concept that is really almost silly that Jesus is up in heaven like a contractor. He's building subdivisions of mansions so that we can go there and live in the mansion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, if you want to believe that, you can. But, you know, when you're changed from flesh to spirit, when, you, when you're given this new body, you're not even going to need a home. I don't know if you realize that or not. That's not going to be important to you. But, you know, this, this is the concept that people have, that Christ is building mansions in the sky. There's a cabin in the sky. So be careful when you step out the door. You know, watch that first step. That first step is a doozy. Zoop, you know, away you go. But, but that, it's, it's, it's just totally unnecessary to, to read into this that this is what God is talking about. John 14, verse 3. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And notice that I go to prepare a place for you, which is probably talking more, more about positions of authority than it is building literal buildings and mansions or anything like that. 
positions of authority that God is going to delegate out at his return. He says, I will come again. What's that talking about? Well, Christ is returning to this earth. For what reason? To resurrect the dead and receive you unto myself. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to return and I'm going to receive you to myself. Obviously, he's talking about a resurrection from the dead. That where I am, there you may be also. So even this verse, you know, I mean, you, people read into this about mansions in heaven and all that, but it, it's totally, you know, it's, it's what people are reading into it is not correct at all. Therefore, and then, now here's another verse that people often use to say, you, you know, I've heard this verse at funerals again and again and again. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. Well, yeah, I agree with that. While we're in this fleshly body, we're absent from God. You know, it's, there's a separation there. All right, let's continue on in verse uh, 8. We are confident, and I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. Now, what, notice what Paul does not say. Paul does not say that when you die, you are immediately present with the Lord. He's not saying that. He's just saying, I would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Well, when did Paul understand he would be present with the Lord? At the resurrection. At the resurrection, when Christ returns and resurrects the dead. So, you know, again, you read into this and you think immediately, absent from the body, present with the Lord. No, no, that's not what Paul is saying. He doesn't say that immediately upon death, you are present with the Lord. Paul understood the time frame of the resurrection of the dead. He knew that at the time he would be with the Lord, present with the Lord, is when Christ returns and resurrects the saints. You're not going to be present with the Lord a moment before that time. It's, important, it's the, important of the, res, the importance excuse me, of the resurrection. Let's notice this verse in Hebrews 11 and verse 13. This is about the hero, heroes of faith. All these godly men and women who came before us and did great wonders and mighty works and were good Christian people. We're going to read about these heroes, heroes of faith. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 11 and verse 13. Let me get this right. Hebrews 11 and verse 13. says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Well, what's that, what does that mean? They all died and they didn't receive the promise. What promises? Well, how about the promise of eternal life? They didn't receive it as of yet. But having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And you know, that's part of the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles right there, that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This earth is not, you know, it's, it's not God's world is what I'm trying to say. It, it's, uh, it's not, you know, there is a spirit of this world and we're not to have a part of that because it's opposed to the things of God. It's an ungodly society is what I'm saying. So they confessed they were strangers on this. This was not where they belonged. They were pilgrims on this earth. Skip on down to Hebrews 11 and verse 39. Because it tells us, And these all 
having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. God, notice verse 40, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You know, the reference here is obvious. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead, that it's going to be all at the same time. They receive not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, and that is the first resurrection that they, those who have already died in the grave, without us, should not be made perfect. In other words, at Christ's return, all at the same time. Those that are dead are going to be raised, and those of us that are still alive at Christ's return will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling eye, and we're going to be given our new bodies. Fascinating. So when we take something that is holy and we say it's not important, which is exactly what we have done, you have the degeneration of theology, truth that we have, we should have never abandoned, truth about the resurrection of the dead, because the resurrection is a holy thing. There's a holy resurrection that's going to take place, the first resurrection. And it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But I just think as Christians, we have come to a point. And as you look and examine the theology of many religious people, you just realize, wow, you got your religion. Yeah, you got your religion. You're busy, 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 busy. You're doing backstrokes through religious activity. You're on the merry-go-round of churchianity. That's just, just one problem. Nothing about your faith is holy. Nothing is holy. And that's a shame. I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible. The Immortal Soul. Millions believe that you have an immortal soul that either goes to heaven or hell when you die. Yet the words immortal soul are nowhere to be found in your Bible. Think for a moment. If you already have an immortal soul, then why do you need God? You already have something that lives forever inside of you. Why would you need a relationship with God? The concept and teaching of the immortality of the soul does not come from the Bible. Philosophers like Plato and Socrates came up with the concept as they speculated about the state of the dead. What does the Bible really say about immortality? What do the dead know? What does the Bible really say about the state of the dead? Do the dead know anything? Are they aware of the passage of time? Do disembodied souls roam heaven's corridors? Do spirits of dead people roam the earth? Can you talk to the dead? Is someone listening on the other side? What does the Bible really say about the state of the dead? The Resurrection The only promise Jesus Christ ever gave of living again was by a resurrection from the dead. The teaching of the resurrection of the dead fills the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There is no greater promise for mankind than the dead being resurrected. However, the teaching of going to heaven when you die has made the greatest promise in the Bible unnecessary. 
If the dead go immediately to heaven when they die, then why do you need a resurrection? What does the Bible really say about the resurrection? Order these three pieces of literature by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.org.